Digital Marketing Radio, episode 207. How to improve your email response rate. DigitalMarketingRadio.com Broadcasting live on the Digital Marketing Radio Facebook page. This is the weekly show that prizes actionable advice from today's top digital marketers. Catch up with all the previous episodes at DigitalMarketingRadio.com The Big Interview with David Bain Hello, I'm David Bain and today I'm joined by a man who is the CEO of a search marketing agency focused on growing marketing qualified leads for B2B companies. Welcome to DMR, Garrett Mergut. Hey, thanks for having me, Dave. I'm uh, excited to be on here and looking forward to it. Great. Okay, we can, of course, find Garrett over at directiveconsulting.com. So, um, Garrett, are most companies doing email outreach wrong? Sometimes. I say it depends on what they're using it for. There's so many ways to do email outreach. I think the principles definitely apply. Um, I think see a lot of people when they do their email outreach, let's say for guest content or even business development, they'll think, okay, let me buy a list from somewhere. I'll create a MailChimp campaign and then send this mass HTML stuffed email to people and then get great results. And it doesn't work that way. Okay. Um, so, I mean, one of the things that we're talking about is reply, r- reply rate, of course. Um, so w- why is when you're sending emails out reply rate, why is that a core pillar, um, essential aspect of email marketing? Yeah, I think the, the reply rate at least lets you start to predict what can happen. So you can have, and then you can sort of look at negative replies and positive replies. But without the reply rate, there's never the chance for interaction. And at the end of the day, what you're trying to do with an email is start a conversation. And if we don't have the reply, you definitely don't have the conversation. And so the point of the email gets lost. Okay, so conversation, I guess, is the key word there as well. So that means you obviously um, perhaps think, uh, maybe I'm putting words into your mouth here, but um, you'll correct me otherwise. You perhaps think that um, too many companies are trying to sell in the first email they send out rather than actually building a relationship with people. Yeah, I know. I mean, for even myself, I've struggled in the past with wanting to say everything about my company in one email. And what we do now is we try to keep the emails at 150 words. Now, it depends on the point of the email, um, if whether it's business development or whether it's content marketing. Uh, but I've found that short emails in general outperform others if you have the right unique selling proposition and you're able to ask yourself, why would I want to get this email if I was that person? What, like, would I actually want this? Because remember, we all do this email marketing, yet we get emails from everybody else and delete them. Yet when we send ours, we somehow think people are like, oh, yeah. spam email, thank you for sending. And I think we got to put ourselves in other people's shoes sometime and ask, would I like this email? Would this get my attention? Would I actually respond? Yeah. And if not, then you got to rethink it. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it also reminds me of LinkedIn as well and um, all the messages that you get because I've got quite a few contacts on LinkedIn and, uh, you know, I'm accepting quite a few people and then I'm thinking, why do I accept then? Because the first email or message they send me is, this is what I do. This is my, uh, my services. Are you interested in this? And I'm just, that's not building a relationship. And the same applies to email. You, you can get, I'm sure, in, incredible response rates, more interaction, more interaction if you if you just think of it as a conversation, as, as you say. Is there, do, do you have a sequence in terms of the conversation in mind as well? Or do you have a typical follow-up email to, to send as well as that? Yeah, so we use a tool called Pitchbox. Okay. Uh, Pitchbox allows us to do kind of content marketing at a little bit more scale. 
And yeah, we use a sequence. So the, the way it works is the first email, at least for content. So are we talking, is this more email reply rates for content marketing, like guest posting and outreaching or just Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, email in relation to hopefully building something that will result in business for you. Okay. So yeah, when, you know, for us, like how I got in this show, let's just kind of walk through how I even got in this situation, right? And what that process went sure. like. So I was pitching a podcast. I know that a lot of uh, marketers listen to this podcast. It's a great podcast. And I said, you know, it'd be great for me to be able to have access to David's audience and contribute some of my knowledge and everyone benefits. It's a great system. So at first, I needed to make sure that you, the host of the show, knew that I would be worthy of your audience. So the subject line, let's just kind of deconstruct the email. And I think it'd be great for your audience to see how they can do this for themselves. And so the subject line of the email was guest on your show, colon, published in Moz and WordStream. So it was clear that what I wanted, so you knew what the email was about, but it was also clear that I wasn't spamming you because I've been published on places that you deemed authoritative did you, and not did, spamming. Did, did you actually know that I've also interviewed Rand Fishkin and Larry Kim? And I did a little <laughs> bit of research and you start to understand, okay, what's going to play right? Who's known? How are they going to like that? Now, obviously, I'm not Rand Fishkin or Larry Kim when it comes to names in the industry, but I also knew that if I have been mentioned on their sites, then it's helpful to be mentioned on yours, right? And so that subject line provides credibility and transparency. You know I want to be a guest on your show. You also know I'm credible. Then, brief introduction, who I am, you know, reaching out, love your show, really like what you're doing for your audience. And I also know, right, when I'm, if I was in your seat, Something that I would always be looking for if I've done more than 100 episodes is another guest, a great guest, someone who's worthy of my audience, someone that I could have on the show. And so if you think about it that way and say, okay, if I'm reaching out to an editor, editors and content marketers are all the same. We struggle with creating quality content. It's difficult, especially at scale over time. You know, a couple good content ideas, but you want to do 200 shows, like it's difficult, right? And so the theory there is if I know that you have a real need, and I can provide the value, your very real need is guests on your show. And if I have a valuable pitch, then I can get myself. So I first I pitch who I am, then I prove that I'm credible with places I've written, podcasts I've been on, and thought leadership. And then, the, yeah, this is the biggest part, though, is it should be easy for you to say yes, no to my email. So then I add topics. Hey, here's some topics we could talk about on the show. Feel free to choose one or I can fit in your backlog. Let me know what works for you. Now, all you have to do is pick a topic, say, hey, I like the topic on how to increase email reply rates. Let's chat about it. Next thing you know, you've got a guest on your show, the hard work's been done, and you just have to schedule a time. So I think when you're trying to do this, the question is, what's the value of the email? If you are doing a cold ask, like I emailed you with a cold ask, I have to make sure that my pitch is directly aligned with why it's valuable to you. It has to be more about you than it is about me. How am I helping you, not how are you helping me? Because I didn't email you asking, hey, David, can you help me with this? It was, hey, David, I want to be on your show. I know your audience has these goals. Here's how I can help that audience. Here's some topics they would enjoy. And you can say, yes, please, no, sir. And we can go from there. So I think the key is understanding the point of the email and what the other audience, the value the other people want, like what they need. And then you can get better response rates. Brilliant. Okay, yeah, the three words I would pick up from that are value, relevance, and make it easy. And yeah, yeah, it, it, yes. yeah. It seems it seems so logical. But did you take a while to actually figure that was how you should structure an email? Did you do quite a bit of testing? 
Yeah, so that's actually really funny how that all happened. Um, so I was just getting my butt kicked, like most people do probably with their guest posting. I was like trying to find these opportunities, but I didn't have a bio, right? So the key, I think the big key here too, right, is that you knew I had a legit bio, so it's easier for you to say yes or no. If I don't have a bio, who is this guy? I don't know him. I can't trust him. He's not credible. Is he credible? I'm not sure. Delete. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And that's what happened to me before I had the bio. And so what I did, I got lucky, but I also worked hard. And I think this is the key. And I I did a post on our blog talking about how to guest post for your industry's top blogs. Um, And the piece, what I talked about is how we got started with it. Because everyone has to start from somewhere. And I wrote a piece on local SEO. And I was calling all the local SEO people I knew because I knew that if I emailed them, I wasn't credible enough to get them to respond. So I actually started initially with only calls. So I called all the people in the local SEO space I respected. So I called all the people that had written on Moz pretty much. So I took their local, the tag, the category on their site on Moz's blog called local SEO. And then I got all the contact info for the people who published. Well, I didn't know this, but Miriam Ellis, because I wanted them to share a piece I had done on directive. So I figured if they shared it, if I could just get them to share a piece of content, then it would build a relationship, and then I could ask to write for their blog. So if they like my content enough to share my content with their audience, they'd probably like me enough to write for them. You kind of see yeah. how that works? And so what I did is I reached out to Miriam Ellis to see if she would share my piece. Well, she liked it. She shared it with her audience, and she said, Garrett, I don't know if you know this, but I also run Moz's local newsletter. I said, oh, wow, I didn't know that. Well, would you be willing to share a couple of pieces? Uh, you know, and I'm like, can I send you a couple pieces, see if they're good enough for Moz's newsletter? Well, I sent her my best piece. She liked it. She featured me in Moz's newsletter. And I thought, yes, that's my break. So then once they emailed it out, I screenshotted me being in Moz's newsletter. I made my subject line, publish in Moz's newsletter, want to write for you. And within three days, I had Raven, uh, Word Tracker, and other small sites. And I published for them. Then I took those small sites and I went to bigger sites like Ahrefs and Kissmetrics. Said, hey, publish in these sites, want to write for Mm -hmm. you. And I just kept going and going and going until eventually... I had been written for most all the sites. Uh, have you gone back and so is this the tried tactic? to write for them on a regular basis? Or is your goal just, yeah, just to write yeah. it one time? We've contributed to a couple of them multiple times. And I have great relationships with all the um, editors now at a lot of these blogs. So I could continually do a piece. Uh, lately, what we realized is when we wrote for those blogs, while it was great that we got the awareness and the link, because the audience was actually practitioners, not marketing managers and CMOs and VPs of marketing at B2B firms who actually hire us, the value was limited to the link. So now what we're trying to do is we're trying to write for B2B software companies whose audience is our audience so we not only get a link, but we also get a lead. And so we're trying to go now from just guest posting for links and awareness to guest posting for leads. And that now comes more into audience definement and understanding who's listening and who's reading so you can make sure you're showing up for the right people. And in terms of the right people um obviously when you're outreaching and um, when you're doing email outreach you could build a massive list and um email lots of people that are probably not relevant so so how do you actually build a laser targeted list that is likely to be relevant for the products or services that your company offers i love that david i love that so great question let's just talk about how i did it for the podcast because this is fresh on my mind okay so i went into itunes and I took a category in the iTunes of uh, business, and it's like marketing and management or something like that. 
So I took all the podcasts within marketing and management. I then just took that link. I then gave it to a virtual assistant on Upwork who I pay, I think, $12 an hour. So I get one of the more expensive data entry people who's actually really talented. And I say, hey, I want you to find the contact info of every one of the people at this podcast. And I create all these columns. And I said, and then break down the topics they discuss on the podcast in columns. And then what I do is I segment my outreach in Pitchbox and my cadences. I segment my cadences so that I don't email David something that talks about sales when he covers marketing. I don't email sales topics to someone who covers marketing. I mean, uh, marketing topics, someone who covers sales. And so then what I do is I segment my outreach. So at scale, I'll build three different segments, maybe one social, one's uh, advertising, one segment might be generic marketing, one might be sales. And so then I have these different segments and then I have different sequences with different variations in the topics I can cover with them. And then at scale, I could email a thousand podcasts at a 30% success rate because I created a custom type campaign for each audience. So the key is getting a virtual assistant to build your lists, but then also crafting very relevant email sequences based on the value you know you can provide to the people on that list. Great. Okay. And you mentioned a VA there as well. Is it an important part of the mix to use a VA or can this equally be done in-house? You could do it. I just... So I did the first five myself, proved that it was doable. I created a system, and then my time, I thought, was more valuable in other areas. And so I allowed someone else to do it for me so I could focus on other parts of my business. So it, very much you could do it yourself. Um, it just depends on where you see your value. you know. And if you don't have another activity that you think you can create more value in, then yeah, do it yourself. But if you have something else you could be doing, maybe being on the podcasts or other you know things like that, then... I think you should use a virtual assistant. So is this specifically B2B, for B2B that you're talking about here, or can it be applicable to B2C? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, like this podcast, for example, doesn't have an exclusive B2B audience. I'm sure you have people from the B2B community as well as the B2C. Um, I would just say if you're going after, let's say, a strictly B2C podcast, make sure your topics that you're pitching are B2C and don't pitch a B2B topic because now all of a sudden you will you will seem scaled out spammed and you'll get deleted or won't get a reply so remember you can send emails at scale if they're personalized relevant and valuable the key is is your segmentation if not you're going to send the wrong types of emails to the wrong types of people and then you're going to get poor responses so what are your thoughts about email in general i mean social media came along 10 years ago or so and there was probably a lot of conversation then about it replacing email in people's regular communication. But email still plays a massive part of certainly B2B, but also in terms of consumers subscribing to, becoming customers to, and receiving newsletters from companies. Can you see email changing much in general over the next few years, or do you think it's fairly much going to stay the same? Yeah, you know, what I see happening, I can see like there's companies out there uh, like uh, Dash. I think it's Dash, right? It's the intercom competitor. Okay, sure. Yeah, I know know intercom anyway. Yeah, well, one of the people like, I forget their name right now. They they probably hate that I'm botching it. Um, But they essentially are hoping that messaging, chatting, replaces form fills. I can actually see that happening. I can see chatbots then replacing people doing the messaging. I can see all this happening. Now... Internal communication for us has been replaced with Slack, right? So internally, we've replaced email communication with messaging. 
There is some value, though, I think, in email in the sense of threads and the way it works. It seems a lot more in, like un, impersonal, I guess it would be a word, right? So it seems more impersonal, I think, when you email mm-hmm. people. So it adds a layer of protection to you that you don't necessarily like. If like, I feel very much intruded upon if someone I don't know sends me a Facebook message because it's a very personal and private mm-hmm. network, right? Now, Twitter or LinkedIn, not so much because they've cultivated Twitter, at least for marketing professionals, is very much like LinkedIn. And then LinkedIn is very much a professional network. So I think social can replace it. So like in the marketing space, at least the search engine marketing community, we're very active on Twitter. We all interact a lot on Twitter. And we I build a lot of my relationships on Twitter, not even LinkedIn. It's all Twitter. And so that, yes, but... They eventually DM me on Twitter and say, hey, here's my email. Shoot me the info. So it still goes back to email. And I think email is uh, tough to replace only because everyone has it. Uh, If maybe we went to IM, but remember, people use email to separate their lives. So, for example, I have my personal email and my business email. And the thing to remember there is now if everyone used a type of business chat, so if Google Suite, G Suite, was able to come up with a universal chat that plugged into everything and everyone used, then it could happen. The problem, though, right, is that all the chat communities right now are closed groups. So Slack, you can only message people on Slack if you have Slack. You can only do Windows me- messaging if you're on Windows. You can only do Skype if you're on Skype. And there's not a way to consolidate all the different types of messaging. So I don't see messaging changing email right now, but I could definitely see messaging changing email in the future, if it became more of an ecosystem that was channel agnostic or platform agnostic, and you could just interact via chat, because I think everyone likes Slack better than emailing people internally. So what would be the difference? It would just be that you would have a more, I think, chat-based emails. Um, An email could start to turn more into a chat thing. But remember, you're at a company, you get a company email. If you want to send emails or receive emails, you use your company email. So until companies start giving employees different means of communication, I don't see it changing. And just finally, in relation to email, what about spam legislation? Should the person that sends the type of email that you're talking about, laser targeted, um, being very focused about what you're talking about, but it's outreach, it's reaching out to someone for the first time there, you're using perhaps automated systems to assist you, should that you know person be concerned about spam legislation in any way do you think it depends it's hard like i sent out 66 emails to podcasts they're all segmented and they were technically cold emails and i didn't get any unsubscribe people or anyone angry at me because i did it right i also get a bunch of crappy emails every day from web development companies in india who somehow are perceiving that they're adding value to me when they're not and so i think if your email perceives to add value without actually adding value, you are spam because you're sending someone something that's focused more on what you get from it than what they do. And it's hard. Like, so I think the can spam or whatever that is here, I need to have a, my address in there as well as an unsubscribe link, right? Is that how it? Yes. Yeah. I, I believe um, in the States, it's, it, it's different in every country. I, I believe that Canada last year, um, brought in you know more of an aggressive type legislation that um, that, that did prosecute people I believe um, so it's it's changing all the time but I, I guess if you're 
really are offering value and that you haven't had any history of people being upset with the kind of emails that you're sending out, then you're highly unlikely for that to be an issue for you in the future. Well, let's ask you, Dave, right? So I sent you the email. Did you think it was spam? No, no. I, I, I would have possibly thought it was spam if I decided that I didn't want you as a guest and you carried on messaging <laughs> me once a week for, you know, the following six weeks or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was funny, right? Because that's kind of how this relationship started and that's what we're talking about. And business development teams across the entire world still rely on email to cast their net. I mean, email is still the number one sales channel out there right now. It still beats phone calls and everything else. People are now starting, like, for at least for us, we do cold email. So we'll build a segmented list. We want to go after B2B software companies. We have a really short 100-word email. Hey, we're Directive Consulting. We work with B2B SEO companies. If you'd like, you know, to chat more, let us know. We can set up a 10-minute call. Okay? And certain people unsubscribe. There's a little link. Other people don't. Other people people don't respond at all and they get a second email 10 days later um but what happens right is then based on how they interact if they open it more than three times we'll call them we'll send them direct mail and so what happens is i think in email marketing is it starts to function as the net that you throw then if you have the right software and tools in place you can start to judge engagement and then base your own sequences and cadences off of how they interact with you Okay, well, uh, in a moment, we're going to be moving to the second part of our discussion where I'm going to be asking Garrett about the software that he couldn't live without. But first of all, uh, dear uh, listener, have you ordered your copy of Digital Marketing in 2017, the book yet? So 107 digital marketers, one book, all sharing their number one actionable tip for 2017 and written by moi. So um, check out the reviews and grab your copy over at digitalmarketingin2017.com. But let's segue over to the second part of our discussion. So that focuses on Garrett's thoughts on where digital marketing has been and where it is going. So starting off with... Software I couldn't live without. So Garrett, what software do you currently use in your business that if someone took away from you, it would significantly impact your marketing success? Can I start with personal? Like Slack. I love Slack. Sure. It's so nice. I guess it doesn't. It has nothing to really do with my marketing, but I like communicating on Slack. I didn't think I'd like it. Like my team signed me up without me knowing, and they just started sending me messages because I didn't want to use it. It's great. Love Slack. Um, SEM Rush. I really enjoy. Um, they do keyword research different than everyone else. You know, Moz and a lot of the other tools. You add all your keywords, and then they only track and report on the ones you add. SEM Rush takes your URL, crawls it across their entire database of keywords, and says where you rank, and you don't have to add the keywords. And so because of their unique perspective there, I think they've done incredibly well with their software. So on the SEO side, SEM Rush, uh, Screaming Frog. I like Screaming Frog. Okay, yeah, a good um, crawler there. Let's see, paid search. I mean, you mentioned Pitchbox earlier on. Is that is that a platform yeah, that Pitchbox you're using? Yeah, Pitchbox is great. Yeah, Pitchbox is great for email. There's also a Buzz... BuzzSumo, BuzzStream. Buzz, Buzz... Which one's the content one and which one's the link building one? I forget. So do I. <laughs> <laughs> Let me see. It's, uh, I think it's BuzzStream. BuzzStream is the other one. They, you they also mentioned, while you're looking up there, you also mentioned SEM Rush. Mm. I'm not sure if you're aware... I actually host um, a, a webinar for SEM Rush called SEO Surgery. I've just started doing that. So um, if you haven't checked that out, dear listener, um, SEO Surgery, SEM Rush, just search for that and I'm sure you'll find it. So you're looking for um, 
Buzz Sumo or Buzzstream? Which one is it? It was Buzzstream. It was Buzzstream. So, okay, loads of recommendations there, but I'm going to ask you a slightly more challenging question, and that is what piece of software don't you use, but you've heard good things about, and you intend to try at some point in the near future? Engageo. Okay. Engageo does account-based marketing sales, and it would help us judge the success we're having at target accounts we're going after. It is more expensive. I think you need five-plus seats. It's more of a seat-based model like a Salesforce. Uh, it plugs into your Salesforce. So essentially what it does is you would take your list, right? So we would scrape, let's say, build a list of all the Series C enterprise software companies out there. And then from there, we would have a virtual assistant get the contact info for four, three to five people in their marketing department. You would then put that into Engageo and it would do like a play. And it would manage all your interactions and your engagement rates at all the different accounts you're targeting so that over time, you can have a really good idea for your account-based marketing and sales of how well you're interacting at different target accounts, where they're at, how likely they are to interact with you and close, and we kind of develop it that way. Great. Okay, well, all the links you mentioned before, that one as well, I'll include in the, in the show notes over at digitalmarketingradio.com, but let's move I on to... I wish I would have. So I'd like you to look back on the very first day that you're involved in trying to market a business online. What didn't you do? Um, what do you wish that you would have done differently? Oof. Starting off, I would have focused way more on branding. I think I devalued branding and design oh. way too much. Is that, do you think, because by the sound of it, you come from an SEO background and you were just thinking of keywords to begin with? I think it's because I was poor. Um, okay. <laughs> I, <laughs> you have to be rich to be a, 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 I, a, have a good brand? I wasn't. Uh, we started the company with like $250 when I was 21 years old and I had no design skills. And I was a writer and a content person, but I wasn't a designer. And so, and my partner wasn't either. And so what made that difficult is we didn't have that design background internally. We didn't have any software development skills or de development skills internally. So instead we asked, okay, what could we do really well? well SEO, paper search, content. And we kind of left design off. And I think so many agencies think, well, I'm so focused on my clients. I don't need to worry about design. And then what I realized as we started doing this more and more is the creative that your brand – that represents your brand dictates the amount of money your brand can charge because there's an inherent value perception that creative creates for the value. So people judge the quality of your SEO by the quality of your brand easily, easily. So meaning that I go to a site – where they have exceptional branding, great copy, they're great creative, I think, wow, that's right. If I'm a marketing firm, you judge me based on my own marketing because you always think, okay, well, if that's what he does for him, that's probably what he's going to do for me. So if I do something poorly for myself, obviously that person is going to think, well, okay, like that's what they're going to do for me. And I think as agencies, we kind of can sometimes think, well, you know, I'm focused on my clients. What we do for us is kind of an afterthought. And, you know, we do have a full team here for doing our own marketing. Because we recognize that one of the best ways to get new accounts is through our home marketing and proving that we can do it for ourselves. And it's a great way to build trust. People judge the quality of your SEO based upon the quality of your brand. I'd like to see that as a tweet, dear listener. That, that's, a, that's a decent tweet. Yeah. <laughs> the this or that round. So this is the quick response round. Ten quick questions, just two rules here. Try not to think about the answer too much. And you're only allowed to say the word both on one occasion. So use it wisely. Are you ready to go? Ready. Twitter or Snapchat? Twitter. 
Facebook or LinkedIn? LinkedIn. YouTube or Facebook Live? YouTube. Mobile or desktop? Quora. Sorry, what was your answer there? I, I you broke up with me. I'm sorry. <laughs> Mobile or desktop? Desktop. Website or app? Website. Paid search or SEO? Both. <laughs> Outreach or advertise? Outreach. Email to one or email to many? Email to one while sending to many. <laughs> Social subscriber or email subscriber? Email. And local marketing or global marketing? Localize your marketing wherever you are in the globe. Yay! I think you just about hit it without um, reaching for two boards, but you were very tempted by the, the email to one, email to many question. But uh, uh, I thought you said Quora uh, to the uh, answer to mobile or desktop there, but uh, it was a, a glitch with the audio. That's that's uh, not a problem there. Um, there weren't any other significant challenges at all. Um, you, 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 in terms of actually hitting, I mean, talking about your email-to-many response, um, do you actually get into Gmail or whatever client you use um, to manage your email and reply to your email directly through there? Or do you just use Pitchbox to manage everything in terms of um, your communication with, with each person you're reaching out to? I just use Pitchbox to send, and I still use my ma- my Mac mail to just manage everything. I guess I'm old school. <laughs> I don't I, I haven't got into Gmail yet. I don't if Gmail had an app, I would actually because I like the desktop apps when it comes to email, but I don't like to have a okay. tab open in a browser to use my email. I like to have it all in my app, and so I use my Mac mail app. Right. Okay. I would imagine you can get Gmail into that. I thought so. I mean I certainly use like but like a Gmail no, I have my Gmail account on my Mac mail, but I don't have like a Gmail yeah. desktop app. Does that exist? Did yeah. I miss something? I don't use one personally. Um, to tell us, dear listener, uh, we don't know. <laughs> Let's move on to the ten thousand dollars question. So, if I was to give you ten thousand dollars and you had to spend it over the next few days on a single thing to grow your business, what would you spend it on, and how would you measure success? Sponsored emails and then replies. Wow. Okay. So LinkedIn does it for you. Have you tested that quite a bit? I'm trying to get it to work right now. I just like the fact that I can control the exact persona. And then have an exact message. And right now I'm at almost a 60% click-through rate even on those messages. And so for $10,000, it's not going to get you a ton on SEO. For paid search, it'll only get me what I get that one time. I think with the LinkedIn, I'll be able to better build relationships with that and then follow up with it better. Uh, It would get me about $10,000 direct messages. So I could directly contact 10,000 people. And so at a cost per interaction with the right persona, I think it's actually incredibly cheap. My number one takeaway. Well, Garrett, uh, you've offered a lot of great advice in a conversation, but what is the number one takeaway? What's the single most important step that our listener needs to take away and implement in their business? Start thinking about market share when you do search marketing. So what that means is there's four ads now above the fold on paid search. So you're already below the page oftentimes if you're doing just SEO. And so if you think about it this way, there's a 100% market share opportunity. 
Uh, paid search on average has a three to 5% click-through rate. So even if you have a paid ad, you're only capturing 95% of the market for that one keyword. And then the number one spot might have an 18% click-through rate for SEO. So let's assume you have the number one spot for SEO and you have the number one spot for paid search. You're still only capturing 20 to 25% of the market. So what I highly recommend for everyone out there is to identify your most profitable keywords at the lowest part of your buying funnel and then take market share by seeing what other sites are ranking for that keyword and how do you either launch an advertisement on those with a managed placement via Google's display network, how do you pull in a featured SERP, how do you make sure you have a paid search ad, how do you get up into the top three spots for SEO so you get enough of a click-through rate to actually drive leads, and then how do you get on all the other sites that are ranking on that page if possible via Google's display network, PR, or other types of outreach. Great, great advice there. And I just want to ask a little follow-up question in relation to the SERP and appearing hopefully on number one organic position and also the, the, the paid ad. How much cannibalization is going on there? How much of the same audience are you actually bidding for? Are you potentially taking away a lot of your own organic traffic? Or do you think it is actually separate clicks and they're, they're, they're separate visitors? Well, I would say that the audience is the same, but the persona of who clicks on an ad versus who clicks on an organic result are different. And I would also say, who cares? If you're getting the click, then great for you. Remember, there's still 75% of people who aren't. And even if you have an ad, there's three other ads up there too. So let's not assume we always have the best copy. So if we don't have the best ad copy, maybe we don't have the best meta title tag. Who's to say you're getting the click in the first place? So we oftentimes use you know the paid search ads to experiment with what is getting better click-through rates and then change our SEO meta titles based on the click-through rates on our paid search because we can view that data right within the Google Search Console. And I mean, I mean right within... Uh, search term report for the keyword types and then you can also look right in the actual ad sets to see which ads are performing the best within Google AdWords. Great advice. So thanks to Garrett and um, thank you dear listener too. If you have an opinion of what Garrett shared today so tell us what you think. So the Facebook page is facebook.com slash digital marketing radio and you can tweet me at David Bain and plus remember to subscribe to the podcast if you're not already. So you can do that at digitalmarketingradio.com slash iTunes for iPhones or digitalmarketingradio.com slash Android for Android devices. But until we meet again, be fantabulous and do one thing that scares you. Adios. And thank you, Garrett, for a great episode. It was great. Thanks for having me, David.